Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 10 uh, is where we'll be this morning. Um, I did not grow up watching football. Football uh, was not historically my favorite sport. Uh, I grew up more watching college basketball, uh, UNC Tar Heels, and then I went on to be a Chicago Bulls fan because I followed Michael Jordan through the 90s. So I grew up in a really good basketball era. Uh, and it wasn't until I moved to Greenville that I started to like football. And, and honestly, you can't really love, love Greenville without loving football. And not just ECU Pirates football, but just NFL football in general. If you go anywhere on a Sunday afternoon to any kind of sports bar, it's going to be completely full of people who want to watch a football game. And so I wanted to be a part of that. I want to be all things to all people. And part of me doing that, part of my journey in getting into football was uh, fantasy football. And uh, I figured, why not live vicariously through other men's accomplishments instead of me going out in the field and actually doing things myself? I can brag by what other men do rather than what I actually can do. And so that is what I did. So I joined a fantasy football team uh, right, right when I first moved here. We got into a league. And what I found about the way that it's changed, like I've been in a league since then. Sometimes, some years I might have one or two, maybe three different leagues that I'm a part of. And what I've found is like the way that it used to be was you could guess and kind of predict what a player would be and what a player could uh, look like for that next year. But now like it's out of control. Like fantasy football is out of control. There's like whole stations like dedicated to that. There's YouTube channels upon YouTube channels. There's blogs upon blogs that will help you make the right decision to when you finally sit down with the group of guys and you draft a team, you have like NASA level research to help you make that decision. And so what I've learned was, now, now, now I'm in it now, I'm, so I'm looking at stats of the year before and what the guy's blood type is, and it's just ridiculous, you know, what you have now at your disposal in order to pick a running back for the, you know, next year. And so here I am, I'm picking teams, and I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, like, way ahead, I'm, like, praying over my team, you know, like, it's just, it's getting ridiculous. And so, um, but, but that's where we end up. Uh, with fantasy football, because what we end up doing is we pick players based on what they did last year and what they're projected to do this coming year and how they're going to line up with the defense that the team is playing uh, that day. And so you got to make changes, you got to make, you know, you got to trade players, you got to get rid of them. And so that's how it works. And so for me, we um, pick players based on how good they are or based on how good they should be. That is how we pick players. That's also how we pick people that we want to be around. What kind of person is this? What kind of friend is this going to be? How is this going to pan itself out? What can this person do for me? And so that's the way we kind of pick people. That's the way we pick players. That's the way we pick things that we want to be involved in. However, that is not the way that God is with us. And that's what I want us to see this morning. God does not pick us or use us based on what we did last year or based on what our potential is to serve his kingdom. He has a completely different way that he looks at it. He looks at it, honestly, through the lenses of the gospel. And that's the big idea that I want us to see this morning. And so the, the, the question that I have for us this morning is, what type of person does God use? And that's what we're going to see in the text um, before us this morning. The book of Jonah starts off with God telling the prophet Jonah to go to a place called Nineveh. 
Nineveh, as we know, was a wicked city, and Jonah didn't want to go because he didn't want God to give Nineveh what they deserved. He, didn't, he, wanted, God to, uh, to not, he wanted God to destroy them, not give them mercy. And so what, what does Jonah do? He gets on a ship, and he goes the opposite direction. And we're told, and we saw this in the last couple weeks, that God uh, hurls up a great wind and a great storm to cause this ship to almost sink Jonah is thrown overboard by the, by the sailors on the ship, and then he's swallowed up by a great fish. And if you haven't noticed, there's tremendous ironies in the book of Jonah. Uh, for instance, one is when we eat a bad fish, we throw up. But in this story, a fish eats a bad man, and the fish throws up. And that's what happens here at the way that Jonah chapter 2 ends. After Jonah repents, God causes this fish to vomit Jonah out on the beach, and then we pick up in chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. I love this. He came, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Let me just say this. Aren't we grateful that we serve a God who gives us second chances? Am I right, NC State fans? Aren't you glad (laughs) that God gives us second chances? Sorry, I had to do it. I said, I told some NC State fans earlier, I have one joke for you, and that is that I'll leave you alone and pray for you the rest of the season. Um, And so, um, but on a serious note, we have a God who gives us second chances. And the God of second chances is really the God of the Bible, Lamentations chapter 3, I think, captures this idea of God and how merciful he is, even to his own people and even to his own enemies, according to Lamentations chapter 3. It says, chapter 3, verse 21, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion portion says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. Why do we hope in him? It's because we believe that he is the God of of second chances. And I want you to see this morning that this is the God of the Bible because so many of us, because of our sin, we feel like we're so far from God that we can never come back. We feel like our sin has created so much of a distance between us and God that there just is no way that he can possibly give us a second or third or one millionth chance. There's just no way that he's going to do that. But I want you to see, this is the character of God. And no matter how messed up we are, he's always ready to embrace us, and we're never too far from his grace, and there's always hope. And that's what the writer of Lamentations helps us see. Let me explain this, why this is so important. Like when I first became a believer, uh, the the, the first people who taught me the Bible were well-intended, but they believed that you could lose your salvation. And so when you tell someone who has an analytical mind like myself, like, okay, how do you lose your salvation? Like, because I really believe, even today, I believe this, if you can lose your salvation, you absolutely would. Because we sin all the time. So my question was like, okay, when, when is it enough to where God takes it away from you? Like, what's the magic number of sins to when God's like, okay, you're no longer mine? 
Or what's the magic sin that creates this distance where God no longer wants to have anything to do with you? And then I also I would ask the question for people who would say, you can lose your salvation and get it back, lose your salvation and get it back. I'd say, well, what happens when you get baptized? Like when you rededicate or get your salvation back, do you have to get baptized again? And like I would wonder, okay, if that's the case, then I need to wear swim trunks every day for the rest of my life. Because I'm going to have to get baptized like literally every minute. Somebody's going to have to do this over and over again because I'm going to lose my salvation and get it back and lose my salvation and get it back. Because, and what I'm trying to get you to see here is that your view of second chances from God isn't because you've lost your salvation. Um, because the problem with believing that is love has no part in that view. In the gospel, it completely minimizes what Jesus did on the cross if you believe that you can lose something that you didn't get, that you didn't do anything to get in the first place. Imagine it this way. If I were to fail, uh, when I fail Jess as a husband, if, I were to, if we were to get into a big fight, and before we went to bed that night, after we reconciled and made it right, and you said, honey, I'm so glad that we reconciled, but you know what I think we should do? We should renew our vows. Like, let's get Pastor Mike Kwiatkowski, who married us in 2004, and I know he lives in Florida now, but let's see if he'll drive up and make the trip to make sure we renew our vows and so we can make this right again, so we can be married again. No, we're not going to do that. Why? It's because we're committed to each other, because we love each other. It's the same thing with my boys. If I tell my boys, listen, you've, you've, you've failed me, and I can no longer call you a tugwell until you make this right. You're going to be a smith this week until you can make that right. Now, that's really screwed up, would it not be? What you would hopefully like, try to like, call social services and have them, because that would be a messed up view. Why? It's because they're my boys. No one can take me away from being their father. And that's the, that's the idea of sonship. That's the idea of being loved by our father. And so we have to look at, when we look at second chances, I want you to look at it through the lens of the gospel. The gospel says you are justified by the finished work of Christ, which means you are fully accepted by God through the person and work of what Jesus has done on the cross on your behalf. So when we talk about second chances, we're not necessarily talking about reuniting with God because we're out of fellowship with him in this way. Rather, we're talking about God's endless mercy on those who believe. And so if you're a believer, you can guarantee this picture that we see in Jonah. What does it say? The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. If you are a believer in Christ, The word of the Lord, even when you sin, it will continue to come to you the second time and again and again and again. It is God's constant pursuit of your heart that he will always come for you and bring you back into obedience with him. And if that is not the case, then you don't really know him because that is what he does with his own Children, he never ceases to speak to you. You can guarantee that he will chase you even in your sin. You can guarantee that he will always draw you back. So no, you cannot run too far if you're a believer. He won't let you. That's who he is. This is the God of the Bible. Limitations 3, once again, the steadfast love of the Lord, it never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Not great is our faithfulness. Great is his faithfulness. 
And this is the theme of Jonah and throughout the Bible, and this is the theme for you if, if you are truly a believer in Christ. And so it continues. Chapter 2, this is what, or verse, verse 2 in chapter 3 says, the Lord says this, Arise then, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against the message that I tell you. Now, I want you to see this. It's very interesting. Chapter 1, God tells him to go, and he doesn't. After he repents in chapter 3, uh, in chapter 2, and, but by now in chapter 3, he's telling him to go back to the place that he originally sinned against God. And this is what true repentance is going to do for you if you're a believer. He's going to take you back to the place that where you first said no to God. And that's what repentance will always do if you're really repentant. You're going to go back to the place where you uh, originally said no to God. That's authentic repentance right there. Uh, Let me give you an example for how this should play out in our lives. Um, I have an announcement to make. Uh, I have now gotten rid of my 2005 Buick LeSabre. And I'm a little bit heartbroken about it, um, but I got tired of people like looking at me like I was this old pastor, like, you know, like ready to meet somebody in the hospital or something. Like, that's what I felt like all the time driving that thing. And like, great vehicle, just had little problems here and there and that were, needed to be worked on. And so what I did was I traded it in and I embraced Eastern North Carolina and got a pickup truck by the grace of God. And so traded in, got a used pickup truck. And now like what I'm so used to with the Buick LeSabre, I, I can whip in the parking lot. I could do this thing like here and I could do this thing here. And I'm on my, you know, whatever. I had this, I had a certain culture with this car. And now I have a pickup truck. And so now I'm trying to back out and like that thing doesn't turn the way that the Buick did. It's, it's tighter. It's bigger. And here I was, I had a meeting with a pastor friend of mine in Raleigh and trying to pull in. They don't make, they don't make, and Raleigh doesn't make parking um, available for people who have trucks. They just don't. They want, they make it available for like Passats and like cars that, you know, are built on electricity or something. So I'm like, I'm trying to pull in to this part, and I'm like, I have to do it multiple times. I'm like super embarrassed. I'm really worried about like backing into something because I can't see everything. I'm so used to driving my Buick, and I, I now have this truck. And so let's just say this morning, as you're leaving, I'm leaving at the same time, and I back out, and I T-bone you. And let's say as I T-bone you, I just look out, and we make eye contact, and I just wave, and I just drive off. <laughs> and I'm expecting you to just, you know, just be gracious to me because, you know, the gospel calls you to be gracious, you know, and you just should. Um, and you call me, and you say, hey, what's going on? You know, what happened? Are you in an emergency? No, 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 and I don't, I don't answer. I don't respond to you. And so you, you, you send me an email, I don't respond to you. You send me a text, I don't respond to you. You put it on my Facebook wall, I don't respond to you. You send me a direct message to Instagram and Twitter, I don't respond to you, I don't respond to you. And you tell everybody, well, what's going on with Ben? I don't respond to you, I don't respond to you. And then let's just say 10 days later, I finally call you back and I say, hey, I'm so sorry about that. Let's just move on though. How are you going to deal with that? You can say, I want you to fix my car. I want you to fix my car. If you're really sorry... You're going to deal with this. And that's what repentance really means. You don't just say no to God and then I'm going to ignore God for a season of time. And then you have the conviction you're going to go back to the place that you said no to God. And that's exactly what's happening here with God and Jonah. He's saying, okay, you said no to me about Nineveh. 
and you've repented and you said all these things, but now you're going to have to go deal with Nineveh again because I still want you to do that. That's what God's word is telling you to do. And so this is an example of how God chooses to use us. He chooses to use us in spite of ourselves. And then we see this in verse 3. So Jonah arose and he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. That's, that's great, isn't it? He's obeying God's word. I want you to see that. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in the brief. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, here's the sermon, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. I want you to get this picture. Jonah has been in the belly of a fish for three days, which means he smelled worse than an outhouse at the state fair. And not only that, but his skin would have been bleached white because he would have been in all the gastric juices of the fish's belly, meaning his skin would have been bleached white, his hair would have been bleached white, it would have made him look kind of like a stinky angel. And so this makes for a great evangelist. You go to a city and you're like glowing like a stinky angel and you're telling people to repent. It's got to work, right? So what does he do? He preaches this message. It's just an eight-word message. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Eight words. And then they're going to repent. And actually, in the Hebrew language, it's actually five words. Five words Jonah preaches. And look what happens. Verses 5 and 6. And the people of Nineveh believed God. Are you kidding me? After that sermon, they believed God. They called for a fast and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne. He removed his robe and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. This is the worst sermon ever. And now the city of Nineveh is in utter fear of God. You notice he didn't even say the word repent. So why is, was this so effective? We don't know. The, idea, the only thing that we can land on is the Spirit of God just sovereignly took these five words and made it so real and so urgent to these people that a whole city was distressed over their sins. And so this should give us an indication of how God chooses to use people and how God, frankly, chooses to use us. It's not about us. It's about him. If you're familiar with church history, um, you may have heard about a famous sermon that took place around 1741 by a man named Jonathan Edwards. And the sermon that he preached, uh, I love the name. Um, It's uh, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Like, how seeker-friendly was Jonathan Edwards? This morning, we're going to talk about sinners in the hands of an angry God. This is going to be a great one, right? And this sermon was so popular um, that outside of the Bible, it's one of the most popular sermons ever preached, and it it actually continued the momentum uh, of the Great Awakening. But here's the thing. Edwards was not known by being a dynamic speaker. In fact, he he had a monotone voice. And when he preached this sermon, he preached it in a, a, an ill-lit room. And so he would have a candle by his manuscript. And it was said that 
uh, Edwards couldn't see very well. And so what he would end up doing with a monotone voice is he would lean over his manuscript with uh, a candle and just read word for word what he would say with no emphasis on certain words, no spastic hand gestures, nothing. This is what he did. And what happened when he preached the sermon? It's one of the most popular sermons in church history. People, it is said that people would jump out of the seats and they would cling to the pillars of the church, hoping that they would not fall into the pit of hell and fear of God. I mean, how do you explain that? Monotone sermon, ill-lit room, just reading a manuscript and kind of a boring uh, delivery. How do you explain that? It's what God chooses to use for his glory. And this just shows you how big God is. God sovereignly chooses whatever he wants. And as soon as we realize that, the sooner we realize that it is not about us. Let me give you another example. One of my favorite stories in all of the, all of the Bible is, is, is actually a really hilarious story in Numbers 22. And it's a story that, that's similar to Jonah. Um, there's a man named Balaam who was running away from God's word. He doesn't want to obey God's word. And so what Balaam does, uh, unlike Jonah, Jonah gets on a ship and runs away from God. Balaam gets on a donkey and runs away from the Lord. Doesn't really work out very well. And so he gets on a donkey. He's, he's trying to disobey God. And what happens as he's on this donkey run away from God, the angel of the Lord would appear right in front of this donkey and it would scare the mess out of this donkey where it would buck and roll over and run into things. And what would happen, it was, it was like severely injuring Balaam. And Balaam would get like super ticked off because this donkey would continue to get fearful of this angel that the Lord was placing in front of it. And he would started to punch the donkey on the head. And what happens in Numbers 22 is one of the weirdest stories in all of Scripture. It says this in Numbers 22, verse 38. 28. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and he said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me? these three times. This is odd. This is like Shrek. Like all of a sudden, (laughs) Eddie Murphy's voice is out of nowhere. And Balaam said to the donkey, now he's talking to the donkey, because you made me a fool. I wish I had a sword in my hand, for I would kill you. And the donkey said to Balaam, am I not your donkey on which you have ridden all your life along to this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? And he said, no. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord. Standing in the way with his uh, drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed down and he fell on his face. Now, who's the hero of the story? It's God is the hero of the story. When we read this story, we don't say, what an awesome donkey. We say, what an awesome God that he would use something like this to speak to this man in his disobedience and cause him to bow down before Jesus. So what do we do with this passage? We, don't, we say, what an awesome God that we have. And look, I don't think this is not the purpose of Numbers 22. But we are basically that donkey. God uses us however he chooses to use us. I, I get a lot of mail um, at, here at the church from different ministries and people who want to come and they sing and they want to do a puppet show or they want to preach at the church or whatever. And Sometimes I'll get flyers from like revival speakers or evangelists and they'll say things like this. If I come and preach at your church, 
it will guarantee, I can guarantee you that this many people will get saved. I mean, you can't guarantee that. Get out of here. You can't guarantee what God is going to do. This isn't some trick that you can pull on people. This isn't some stunt. This isn't some science that you can manufacture. It's not how it works. God does what he wants. God uses whoever he wants. And so, so sometimes I struggle when I see this idea from people that they think they can do that. And honestly, I, there's a part of me, like, I, if you think you can guarantee something, I want to say, you're just a donkey. And if they, don't, if they still don't get it, I want to say, you're like the KJV word for donkey. Like, that's what you are if you keep doing that, right? Some of y'all got that. It's all right. Look it up. Number 22. <laughs> but this is why I struggle with the idea of even revival. You can't make God do something because you put it on a schedule once a year. God does what he wants. It's all about him. And that's one of the main points I want you to see in Jonah. Jonah is just a man that God decides to use, but God is the hero of the story. And let's see what happens. Verse 7. And he issued a proclamation, the king of Nineveh. He issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. So now you have sackcloth and ashes. Now what is sackcloth? Sackcloth is basically where someone would wear like ripped clothing to show uh, an effect of inner torment of their heart. It's supposed to be a sign of repentance in a person's life. And we're told that here, even the king of Nineveh, he did the same, and he required neither man nor animal to eat. And I always wondered, why the animals? Like, what did they have to do with this? Like, leave them alone, right? But in chapter 4, we're actually told that he uses the word, like, cattle. He's talking about how cattle even turned Um, and obeyed the Lord. And it's kind of a play on words that he uses. But here you have a bunch of cows who are hungry. And if you're from eastern North Carolina, you know what that means. When a cow is hungry, what does it do? Moves. Thank you. Good. She's from eastern North Carolina. That's good. A cow moves. He, He gets angry. And this is what you have. Not only do you have people who are hungry. When we, when we hungry, we get mad and we whine and complain. We get migraines. All these things happen. But now you have cows mooing all around to show the desperation of this city. And God does this because he turns Nineveh upside down. If you remember in chapter 1 how arrogant the Ninevites were, they would boast because they would destroy their enemies. They would have no empathy or compassion on anyone. And they would just bask in their greatness. But here in chapter 3 of Jonah, when the Lord takes hold of him, it's like a scene from Walking Dead. They're walking around groaning with their, with their clothing torn. Cows are mooing everywhere. They're walking around like literally zombies. Everything is living in irritation. Even the create, all of God's created order is now completely distorted. God humbles the proud and he gives grace to the humble. And that's exactly what happens in Nineveh. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. 
Once Nineveh was mighty in their army, they were mighty in their strength, they were mighty in their riches, now they're mighty in their humiliation. And this is what God does to cause repentance to fall upon them. But then it picks up even more in the second part of verse 8. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent. This is the king of Nineveh still. God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God, what's the word? Relented, relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. God is not like us. God is not like us. We said that earlier in the series, and we're saying it all the way through. This is why God is so merciful to these wicked people who have oppressed his own people and have killed other nations, and they bask in their own greatness. God chose not to destroy them because he's not like us. Ezekiel 18 says, For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God, so turn and live. God does not delight in punishing sin. And I love this picture of God and Jonah because it shows us that if you give God half a chance, if you give God half a chance, he can overwhelm you with incredible mercy. And this is the story that we see so far in Jonah. So there's a couple of things I want to show you in light of this text about the type of people that God uses. First of all, and hopefully you've already seen this, in order to be used by God, you don't have to be highly talented. You don't have to be highly knowledgeable. You don't have to be perfectly obedient. If you, are, if you say that you're perfectly obedient, you just don't know your sin and by the way, by, by saying that, does not mean that you can do whatever you want? If you think that you can be under grace and do whatever you want, you, you really don't get the gospel. But I'm telling you that uh, you don't have to be perfectly obedient to be used by God because I'm trying to get you to see that it's not about you. It's all about him. But someone to be truly used by God, even though they don't have to be the most talented, the most knowledgeable, even the most obedient, They have to know a few basic but wonderful and glorious truths about God. And I want to pull those out of this text this morning. The first thing I want to say, salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. If you want to be used by God, I want you to know this truth. Salvation belongs to the Lord. If you remember back in chapter 2 when Jonah was in the belly of the fish, This is what Jonah came to realize in verse 9, that salvation belongs to the Lord. And this is one of the evidences of Jonah's repentant hearts. He realized that if anyone was going to save him out of that fish, it was God. And from that, Jonah realized that if anyone was going to save the people of Nineveh, it was God. And and what I believe gave him the confidence to bring the word of God to the people of Nineveh, it was this. He saw salvation for himself. And isn't it interesting that once Jonah saw salvation for himself, then he was able to see it possible for the people of Nineveh. 
And this is why it's so important that we see that salvation belongs to the Lord and we walk in the truth that salvation belongs to the Lord. And quite frankly, if you're a legalistic person, you're going to struggle to see that salvation belongs to the Lord because if you're a legalistic person, it's all about what you do. You believe that salvation belongs to you because you believe that you earned it from yourself. And the danger of that is you become proud and you look down on others because you think they should earn the salvation that you think you earn yourself. And that's the danger of religion and legalism to, to try to make us in right standing with God. It's not the gospel. And that's what exactly why Jonah didn't go to Nineveh the first time, because he didn't think Nineveh deserved God's mercy failing to realize that none of us do. None of us do. And so to be used by God, we have to believe that salvation belongs to the Lord. We have to believe that we didn't earn it. Nineveh didn't earn it. No one earns it. It's his to give. And once we realize the weight of God's forgiveness in our lives, we want to see it in the lives of others. In college, I was blessed with wonderful roommates. And I, I had, there were five of us that rented this old historic home in downtown Wake Forest, North Carolina, when I went to uh, Southeastern Seminary. And my buddy Dave and I were pretty close, and he had probably the wildest story of any of us five. All those guys had really crazy stories, but Dave had one of the wildest. And he just had this unbelievable view of God's grace that, that was just so contagious, and, I, and it makes you want to have it. Uh, just the way he displayed it and the way he talked about it and the way he would treat others, it was just so evident that he, just, he had a deeper understanding of God's grace than most of us. And part of the reason why is because Dave had a crazy past. He was a, a, a really bad drug addict. and a really, He was a drug dealer in, in High Point, North Carolina. And um, when he became a believer, he became a believer through rehab. And so, like, when you're still around him, I mean, he still, like, has an edge to him. He's got, like, a deep, like, southern accent and, like, kind of rednecky guy. And, like, for instance, he had, like, a dragon tattoo on one arm. And then the other arm, he had, like, a uh, rebel's flag with marijuana leaves around it. <laughs> and um, he was my roommate. And so um, we would talk all the time about things that he used to do. And all the, it was just crazy, like, all the things that God saved him from. And so... He just had this understanding of God's grace that I just wanted so bad. But I remember this one time, we were sitting uh, between classes, eating chicken patties with mayonnaise and cheese. I don't know why we did that. It's the nastiest thing ever. But that was what we did. And we're just sitting there watching uh, the History Channel in between classes. And I remember it was on World War II, and they talked about Adolf Hitler. And I remember I was just getting so mad. Like, oh, what a disgusting person. I would have loved to shoot him myself. You know, just kind of getting that, like, the self-righteousness in me. And I was just talking about how hideous of a person he was. And my buddy Dave said, that's the way you would be without the grace of God. I was like, oh, really? No, no way. No, I was a good kid before I became a Christian. God would have never done those things. I would have never hurt anyone that way. He's like, right. Why? I'm like, well, because I, I was a good person? He's like, no. Why? It's like, it's the grace of God, Ben. It's the grace of God that you didn't do those things. I'm like, right, but, but still, like, I had good parents and a decent, you know, like, but still, by the grace of God, you, did, you had good parents. Like, so he kept going on and on and on. Like, by the grace of God, you're not like Adolf Hitler. And so he kept saying, like, he asked me this question. He's like, so did you, were you kind of good before Jesus saved you, or were you just bad before Jesus saved you? I'm like, well, I guess I was bad. So he's like, so you're, I'm like, okay, fine, I'm Adolf Hitler. Okay, you win. 
I'm Adolf Hitler, you win. And at the end, I started to realize that, okay, that, that is true. Without the grace of God in my life, that is what I would be. And that, quite frankly, that is what all of us would be without the grace of God in our life. And the only thing that good, even before you became a believer, was the grace of God in your life. My buddy Dave understood it because he saw how God rescued him out of an addiction and out of all the other mess in his life. And so he understood God's grace so differently. And that's what made him a much better evangelist than I was because he said, if God can save me, he can save anybody. And that should be all of us. Regardless of how you see yourself, you and I, we start off at the same place that Adolf Hitler and everybody else has started off, sinners in need of a Savior, enemies of God, foreigners to God. But God, in his love and in his mercy, he reaches out his hand and he causes us to believe in him and he gives us the faith to do it. So I want you to see that because salvation does not belong to you. It belongs to God. And it is only by his grace that we believe and we trust him. Only by his grace. And so I want you to see that this morning because it's the truth in the book of Jonah. Once Jonah realized that God could rescue him from sin, he realized that God could rescue the Ninevites as well. So salvation belongs to the Lord. The other thing that we see in the text is faith only comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. It's a wonderful truth the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Faith comes through hearing. Hearing comes from the word of God. My son Gideon um, he loves walking around with uh, Gideon's Bibles. He has like a little New Testament Bible that he puts in his pocket, and he likes all the different colors of different ones. And he calls the Bible, I love what he calls it, he calls it the book of life. He's like, hey, Dad, have you seen the book of life? Hey, Finn, have you seen the book of life? And I don't know where he got it. It's not like if you ever heard me up front say the book of life. We're going to open the book of life this morning. I've never said that. But I'll never correct it because it's absolutely true. The Bible is not a book of just information or commandments. The Bible is the book of life. It's God's power. It's God's power. And if we want to be used by God, we just have to do what Jonah did. What did Jonah do? He went and said what God says. That's all we have to do. We just have to say what God says, which means people cannot know the God of the Bible unless they hear from the Bible. And as a prophet, all Jonah had to do was tell Nineveh what God says. And as believers, this is our job. Tell others what God says. And so here in Integrity, we say it this way. The pulpit drives the church. We want to be able to preach and teach to you in such a way that you know the Bible so that you know what God says and you're equipped in such a way that you can go out and tell others what God says because we believe that that is what truly changes people's hearts. Look at Jonah as this example. He uses five words that God said, and a whole city is turned upside down. So there's not a type of person that God uses. It's not about how smart you are. It's not about how talented you are. It's not about how much you obey or disobey. It's all about him. So we have to come back to these two basic things. Do you believe? That salvation belongs to the Lord. And do you believe in the power of his words? And if, if so, how are you living that out in your life? Who do you need to go and share what God says to? Who do you need to tell? 
This is what God says this week. And so this is so simple. It's not about us, it's about him. It's all about us walking in confidence in who he is. So will we do that this week? And not only this week, but will we position our lives around this truth? I'm going to live my life believing that salvation belongs to the Lord, and I'm going to live my life telling others what God says. God help us. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace that you've given us through your son, Jesus. Thank you that salvation belongs only to you. And so, Father, I'm, I pray right now in this room for those who do not know you, that you would open their eyes to the good news of the gospel. Lord, I pray right now in this room for those who are struggling with sin and they feel like Jonah. They feel like they're stuck in the belly of the whale. So, Lord, would you bring them to the same place that you brought Jonah, to repentance? And, Lord, from repentance, would you bring them back to the place that they said no to you? And, Lord, from that, would you heal their heart? Would you cause them to walk in a newness of life and walk in obedience to you? And, Lord, from that grace that you give us, from your endless mercy and your steadfast love that are new every single day, would you then give us a passion for others, because, Lord, if God can save us, he can save anyone. Help us to understand our sin that way so that we can understand your grace that way. Would you do that this morning? Would you do that in our lives so we can live our lives believing that salvation belongs to the Lord and faith comes through hearing and hearing by the word of God? Would you help us tell others what God says? Lord, for those in this room who do not believe in the gospel, would you give them a heart of repentance so they can trust you and give their lives to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.